yes, solving problems is the greatest issue. If you can solve a problem and not make more work for someone by solving their problem, that's a home run. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou, and boy, do we have an exciting guest lined up for you today. Today's guest is a household name, a legend in the consumer products industry. She became famous with the launch of her incredible product, Debbie Meyers Green Bags, which were developed by her to extend the usable life of produce. She has set sales records with these products on shopping networks worldwide, as well as on retail. There have been over 1 billion, that's 1 billion with a B, Debbie Meyer green bags that have been sold. And she's followed that wildly successful product launch with her own equally successful Debbie Meyer green boxes. She's been featured in amazing publications as an innovator and an inventor, including The Wall Street Journal, Investors Business Daily, Ladies Home Journal, and Home World Business, to name just a few. And her products have been featured on hit TV shows like The View and Dr. Oz, featuring the great Dr. Mehmet Oz. And her company, Housewares America, was co-founded by her and her husband, Neville Meyer, and she operates on a successfully unique business model that she and her husband created. And there have currently been over 17 Debbie Meyer inventions available for purchase. I am speaking, of course, you guessed it, about the one, the only, the legendary Debbie Meyer. Welcome to the show, Debbie. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a real pleasure to have you here. So Debbie, you are an icon in the business world, and you've done some absolutely incredible things. And I'm excited to get to know you and learn from you. And that's one of the privileges that I have as the host of the show is I get to learn from my amazing guests. But the folks listening here, not all of them may have heard of you. And one of the reasons that my listeners come to my podcast is they're heart-driven people who want to be successful in business, and they want to learn from you. They want to learn how to be the best version of themselves while following their hearts and doing good in the world. But the only way they're going to be able to learn that is if they get to know you and fall in love with you and your story. So tell us your backstory. (laughs) How'd you get to be the great Debbie Meyer? Oh, well, thank you. Um, It's a a long story, but um, I was in the corporate world in marketing capacities for big corporations as well as my hospitality hotel uh, line. But I had an entrepreneurial streak that um, has been nurtured since then. But back in college, I was doing things like selling ice cream cones after hours when people couldn't leave the dorm. Um, I was holding tag sales in my room. <laughs> you know, there were, wow. there were things. There was, you know, the seeds were there of um, making a business out of almost anything, um, including what we call the shopping cart Olympics <laughs> in the parking lot. But um, wow. it it all kind of wound itself together all the time I was working in corporate world and constantly kind of thinking to myself that, okay, I'm doing this for somebody else. 
eventually, and there's another story in there also about my husband and I becoming business partners and eventually marrying. But I was actually so. Yeah, it was. uh, It was really awesome. It's been we've been married 35 years. Um, Congratulations! That's wonderful. Thank you. I was always thinking about how to solve my own problems at home. I am really, despite the business background and all that, I'm really a homebody. And I love my home and I love taking care of my home and my family. And I would always be presented with certain problems. Um, very, Some problems were easy enough to fix with just a change of technique. But there were issues that came up like things. Frankly, Nikki, I got sick of going back to the grocery store to replace the items that I bought last week and are already rotten. You know, they they were rotten probably days before. Um, so I was wasting produce. I was wasting bread. I was wasting all these things. And it struck me, how do people get all these things into the supermarket? They have to travel from somewhere. They're fresh. They're apparently fresh when I buy them. How do they go rotten so fast when I get them home? So that was the impetus for the Debbie Meyer green bags. But even prior to that, um, I was solving problems like, okay, cutting a piece of cake doesn't sound hard, but if you think about it, most people will cut cake, stick their finger in the piece while they're putting it on your plate, right? Yuck. Then they lick, yeah, and then they lick their finger and go back to cut more cake. And my mother was way ahead of her time. She didn't want any extra DNA samples. So <laughs> I finally... <laughs> You're funny, I love it. I finally created a the Debbie Meyer cake cutter to get rid of that issue, and that was my first real invention. Um, and it's still, you know, all these years later, over twenty years later, it's still being sold worldwide um, in as the retail as well as TV. But I kept on finding out that my problems seem to be other people's problems too. So that's why I continued on that path, and I found that. Now, and I thank you for that beautiful introduction, it's um, my, my green bags and now my green boxes um, have turned into something that has helped essentially people around the world, everywhere around the world, reduce food waste and save lots of money. Um, and in these times where we're faced with, we can't go to the grocery store as often or don't want to, food supplies may be uh, difficult in some areas. People get to eat what they bought and buy what they enjoy and know it'll be fresh longer. This is all science. It's all independent laboratory tested. It's not opinion. It's been proven um, scientifically and by the response to con- by consumers. So, to me, it's a healthier home. I've got I've got a product, the Debbie Meyer Genius Sponge, that will not allow the growth of mold and bacteria in or on the sponge. Um, so you've got a healthier environment. It, all the things that make my life easier make a lot of people's lives easier. Oh, my God. I, I got to go and buy a bunch of these things for myself <laughs> right now. So, like, I was thinking about how much produce I've let spoil over the past few months, like, just because we didn't get to it. Because, you know, when, when the pandemic first hit, I just went and I overbought. You know what I'm yeah. talking about? I yeah, overbought. I do. I do. <laughs> and a yeah. whole bunch of things we just didn't get to and they went bad. And I just, like, I hate wasting food. You know, it's such a horrible thing to do, like, for myself, for my family. There's people around the world who could have had that food. That's the kind of thought that goes through my head. So if I can find a way to preserve it better... 
I got to go get me some Debbie Meyer green bags and Debbie <laughs> Meyer green boxes right away. And that's no moldy sponge thing is a terrific idea. You know, that, that'd make my lady a lot happier with me for sure. <laughs> oh, absolutely. A sponge will never smell. And again, this is science. The sponge is even science. It's independent laboratory tested. That sponge will last 17 times longer than an ordinary sponge. So, you know, there's a lot of science there. And in fact, if uh, anyone goes to my website, they can watch uh, videos that explain the science um, and why they work and why, you know, there's millions and millions and millions of my sponges out there as well. No, man, that's that's fantastic. That's fantastic. I'll tell you one thing you said that really fits in with the theme of our show is you talked about, you know, the problems you solve, my problems or other people's problems. And the number one thing that I believe every entrepreneur, every business person needs to be mindful of is you're in business to solve problems for people. People come and do business with you, not because of any reason other than they have a problem and they have a belief that you can help solve that problem for them better than anybody else. Wouldn't you say that's true? Absolutely. And you know, the funny thing is that so many people have said to me when they are introduced to my products, say, my gosh, I wish I had thought of that. And I thought to myself, well, um, first of all, I'm glad you didn't. <laughs> but second <laughs> of all, it's like, that's who I always was. If my mother had any kind of issue at home, she put me in the room that needed the most work or needed something done because that's what I did. I identified the problem and I solved it. And for me, it was a process. And some people can identify the problem, but they don't have any capacity whatsoever to solve it for themselves or anybody else. Yes. I, from the time I was a small girl, I had a process of figuring out the parts of the problem. So I could do it in chunks. I didn't have to do it all at once. It's, you know, it's like when you tell somebody that hamburger is huge. How are you ever going to eat it? And I said, one bite at a time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, that's how you're going to do it. So, yes, solving problems is the greatest issue. If you can solve a problem and not make more work for someone by solving their problem, that's a home run. You know what? That's fantastic. I absolutely love that. Problems abound in the universe, right? <laughs> they abound. And you're absolutely right. Most people have what I call a problem attitude. There's a thought leader who I did some coursework with. His name is uh, Justin Sterling, and he does uh, programs for relationships. He uh, created the, Just, the Sterling Institute of Relationship. And there's a concept he teaches called the problem attitude versus a no problem attitude, right? And he said a problem attitude is when someone looks at every problem as something to, to, to talk about. Uh, <laughs> and a no problem attitude is when someone looks at every problem as no problem. We'll find a way to solve it, yeah. <laughs> you know? And it sounds to me like you have a really fantastic no problem attitude. Well, it's no, pro it's uh, along with that. And that's part of it. Along with that is, uh, well, let's work the problem. It, mm. It's not, it's, it's not inconceivable that there may not be a solution for every problem, but I, I like to take it apart. Like I said before, it's, I'm constantly looking at, things not it's almost an opportunity for me to exercise that muscle when a problem comes up there's a yes. way around it and as entrepreneurs we need to find those ways if there's an obstacle 
that problem can be an obstacle in your business. You've got it's your your responsibility, and it's your place in life to find your way over it, under it, around it, whatever you need to do to get past it. It can't be the be all, end all, and the stop of your business uh, just because you know you sit back and go, I have no idea, I don't know, I don't. There's there are lots of ways, and you know we're fortunate enough to live in an age when we have technology at our fingertips. So yes. there's uh, many ways to to look for people who can help with the specific part of that problem you're having problems with, or ways you know just ways to approach it. Um, and sometimes you just need a fresh pair of eyes uh, who will see it differently than you see it. You know that's really really true. And part of those problems come in your relationships as well. And relationships is a huge part of business. So yes. those, those are things to overcome. I have a family business. My husband and I run a family business. It's only family in our business. So, you know, relationships need nurturing, whether they're with factories or they're with your, you know, your family in the business. So uh, those are those are major problems that people face. Not everybody, I don't think everybody's got the, <laughs> the personality to have family businesses. But if you do, you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's, um, it's a big part of it. Yeah, I, I work with my better half inside of our company. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, uh, uh, before you and I got on the phone, she and I had, uh, had a brief quick chat. And it's uh, it, it's got its joys and it's got its challenges. There's no question about it. But oh, yeah. uh, thankfully, uh, on the whole, it, it's, uh, it's a good thing. Uh, and... What you have said about how you think through problems, how you solve them, how you chunk them down, you know, you could put a program together, kind of like sort of what we talk to folks about in terms of thought leadership about how entrepreneurs can can use your process to solve problems and create more successful businesses or product launches or so forth, because that's a unique skill that not everybody has. And I believe to a, a large extent, it is teachable. Um, there are people when I've helped, and I've helped many people. Uh, I always say to people when they ask me, you know, how do you do it? How do you do it? Um, and I've spoken to, you know, very large groups. I've spoken to, you know, individuals. I've done a lot of that. And they say, how do you, how do, you do this? And I said, I'm not going to teach you to be me. I'm going to teach you how to use the best of you and mm, how to change how brilliant. you think. It, it can't, you can't follow me. Um, you know, everybody's unique. I had my own way of doing things and you will have your own way of doing things. It's just that I think people need to be somehow, somewhat directed. And sometimes it's lovely to see the light go on behind someone's eyes when they go, oh my gosh, now I get it. You know, it, it's kind of like when you learn how to add for the first time, <laughs> you know, you, you just, it's like, oh, you feel so empowered when you get it. So I think it helps people to, it helps them when you help them get it on their own. Because frankly, you can have the most passionate person in the world. They are passionate about their business, their product, their service, whatever it is. That passion will only take them so far. The rest is extremely hard work and commitment. Yes. They need that vision funneled into a plan. Yes, 100%. And I really like what you said about, I, I can't teach you to be me. 
And it's very important as an entrepreneur to find your own voice, to to learn from other people, you know, and 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 maybe borrow some of their ideas. I mean, one of my one, one of my all time favorite entrepreneurs is the late great Steve Jobs, and mm-hmm. Steve Jobs borrowed, and some might even say stole ideas from a lot of people in the process of developing, you know, the wonderful uh, company that is Apple, but. Along the way, he found his own voice. He found a way to to go out there and speak the truth as he saw it. He was so passionate about helping people that he considered to be artists. And he looked at at most entrepreneurs as artists, you know? Mm -hmm. And he said Mm -hmm. that as an artist, you need to ship. Artists ship. And I thought that was so brilliant. And (laughs) what you said today really, I think, ties and dovetails nicely with Steve Jobs' philosophy on no one can teach you to be like them, but they can give you permission and you can give someone else permission and encouragement to let the genius within them rise up and take over. Because if they allow that to happen, that's when they're going to be able to to paint their version of the Mona Lisa out in the exactly. world, if you will. Exactly. It's, it's so, so important. I, I'd like to tell people, nobody's waiting for you. The golden ticket is not in the mail. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you have to get yourself together, what you are, who you are, have a way of expressing that to people in a very concise, very, and, you know, in these days, it has to be quick (laughs) manner. Um, To tell you the truth, I hate the phrase, the elevator pitch. I hate that phrase because I think it is confining and I think it makes people nervous, frankly. I think what you need to do is have the best version of yourself in a, in a short, you know, a few sentences statement that you can use when somebody says, so what do you do? I mean, there are times when I, I just want to like go, Oh my gosh, I don't. <laughs> and you got a, you got a couple of days um, because it is very hard to speak about yourself in short, concise sentences. It's a difficult thing to do when you want people to understand how you got where you were or why you did this or how you did this. Uh, So, so I think it's very important for people to, to find, as you said, find their own voice and express themselves. But I think you've got to be confident enough to go out there and present that. You can't have it, you know, sitting in your computer or in a little text on your phone. You've got to get out there and do it. That's that's the part of the hard work starting. You gotta tell people what it's about. You, you absolutely do. So uh, there's a program we teach and inside of that we teach people how to how to position themselves and become what I call a heart leader. The mm-hmm. heart leader is a thought leader that leads from the heart, right? And mm-hmm. there's a whole process we go through that I learned from a man named Matt Church called the positioning matrix, in which basically there's a, a nine-box matrix that we teach the folks on how to get that genius within themselves, right, to 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 come out and and be shareable, if you will, in a very articulate fashion. And then I follow the work of a man named Donald Miller. Mm-hmm. He created the story brand. He, he used to be a best-selling writer. He wrote the book Blue Like Jazz. You may have heard of it. It sold a couple yes, million copies. Yeah. yeah. So he wrote story brand, and he teaches this thing he calls the one-liner. So 
inside of our company, we, we have different divisions. And one of our divisions really is a, is a, is an absolutely wonderful thing because, um, I work with my better half who spent 20 years working inside the private clinical space. So she ran a bunch of dental clinics, psychiatrists, psychology clinics, excuse me, and multidisciplinary clinics. And the beautiful thing about what she did was that she really helped these folks uh, run their practices like a business. So um, here's the one-liner we came up with this program we created, and tell me what you think. Most clinic owners are trained in healing, not in business. They find themselves working harder and longer, but they struggle to get patients and make a profit. The million-dollar clinic system will help you grow to seven figures faster and with less headaches. It's brilliant. That, that's <laughs> it. Took us ten hours to get it that short. I'll tell you that right well, now. I'm, but, I'm, yeah, but that's what happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Edit, edit, edit. In it, you have actually brought it into one sentence where most and you can take out the clinical part you say most most people don't know how to run their business like a business that's true some most i find so many people are just too personal in their business um and they want to put so much of their own personalities into the business that they can't understand why they're alienating people um, mm, say more about you know, that. I like the I like the sound of that. Well, I have a basic premise, and that is no no personal opinion is good for business. <laughs> when you interject too much of your personal thoughts and feelings and whatever beliefs into what you are projecting as your business, you've got a good chance of alienating fifty percent of your potential customers mm. uh, right from the start. So, and that doesn't mean you don't have opinions and you don't have things that you're passionate about. It's just not always necessary for everyone to know what they are. And over the years, over many years in business and many years of, you know, I'm, I'm not a, <laughs> I am not a young person, but many years of relationships building and in fact, you know, losing some relationships. You find out a great deal of how people react. And it's not to be insular. It's not to say, I don't want you to know. It's just that I feel some things just don't belong in business. Um, if I'm negotiating with you, what do my personal beliefs have to do with it? So there was a quote I saw the other day, which I found actually quite interesting. It said, the less people know about you personally, the less they can dislike about you. And that was in a business mm. journal. And I was kind of surprised that somebody actually came out and enunciated that. I don't need everybody in the world to like me. <laughs> I mean, I found out that, you know, that just, that can't be true. But yeah. I want them to know and respect my brand. I am extremely grateful when people respect me as the person behind the brand. It's a brand with a real person. It's not just a brand related to an inanimate object. There's a real person there um, who did what they did for her own reasons. And uh, it's, it becomes very hard when somebody hears something they don't like and therefore decide they don't like you and therefore decide they won't participate in your business. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's I, a real I, world I get problem. It. It's a real it is world. a real world problem. I, I, I've had a, uh, a client of mine inside my uh, high level mastermind. He's a <laughs> wonderful fellow that I love dearly. And we're both Canadian. And I made some uh, uh, comments on my personal Facebook page uh, about um, American politics, right? And he read those comments and he got so upset because he had a completely different point of view than me mm -hmm. that he said, you know what? I don't think I can work with you anymore. And I'm like, what are you talking about? We we're longtime friends, number one, and we've done great work together. What are you talking mm -hmm. about? He says, no, I know, but I, I don't believe in what you believe in. I'm like, oh my God. So, you know, from my own yeah. point of view, it's a good lesson to go, look, you know what? I've got my opinions. I'm not going to change my opinions, but not everybody needs to know every opinion that I have. Exactly. And it, you can have them. They're yours. They're yours to keep and hold dear to you and act on them um, if you wish. But you have to know that there are people who will react adversely to those opinions. and. You know, I don't need more stress than I already have. <laughs> yeah, well said. Well said. <laughs> you know, and, and dealing with other people's opinions, not, you know, coinciding with mine. And everybody's entitled to their opinion. I feel that very strongly. And I hold that very dear to my heart. I just don't think we need to have that conversation when we're talking about business. It just makes it easier. If I don't know yours, I don't have to, you know, I don't have to deal with it. Um, that's, you know, some people may not even like that opinion, <laughs> but you oh, know, for sure. it's what it is. It is what it is. Yeah. In this day and age, there we were living in interesting times, as Confucius said. Oh. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things I actually think is very important is, I, I mentioned a few moments ago that we have technology at our fingertips. We all do. Um, and if you don't own you know, the hardware, you can go to any library, you can go to almost any place, you can go to places and, and be connected on that hardware to the technology. So it's really available pretty, you know, I'd say as widely as you can possibly get. One of the things that's very important to me is to turn off the technology sometimes. Um, mm. When you need to think, um, I find it, I find being alone with myself is a very good thing. Because it allows my, it, it's a power that not many people have. And I found that. And it's one of the things I tell them, learn to be with yourself. Because you have to shut off the noise. I, this is going to sound funny, but I get some of my best ideas and have some of the best thought process when I'm ironing. Because it's, it's something nobody else wants to be around. Sure. <laughs> you know, I get to be by myself. I'm doing a job that appears mindless, but ends up having a very positive outcome because I turned a pile of wrinkled stuff into this nice bunch of things that people can wear. Um, so it has a great outcome, but all the while my mind is very active. And, you know, the, uh, conversely, I'd say my alone time is for everybody's safety because uh, <laughs> I seem to need it. And I would like, when I speak to people, I'm, I tell them I would love them to learn how to just be alone and let your thoughts wander. Do the what ifs. It, it can't. It doesn't hurt anybody. Um, maybe you don't want to. You know, you don't want to express a what if to somebody in a meeting because you haven't thought it through. But 
but it gave yourself the opportunity to think and, and kind of explore your own thoughts about things. And I think you'll find it very powerful that you came out the other side with thoughts you never had before because you allowed your brain to have them. So, so much of the time, if you're on a computer all the time, you're reading other people's thoughts. What are you doing? You're reading things. Those are other people's statements, other people's thoughts, other people's processes. You need your own. And frankly, I like to write lists by hand because it also takes me off the computer. Yes. And, you know, I can cross things out and edit and make notes, whatever, and um, go back and then I can, you know, type a full document if I want. But I think that it's also important. I want to loop back to relationships. We don't have telephones in our hands at any table. Um, as a family and as a business. If there's something so important that you need to do, we shouldn't be having this meeting right now. Deal with that thing that's important so that we can commit to each other on a level that says, I'm here, I'm fully available to you, and let's talk. Let's share. It's not about taking pictures of the food or sending each other texts at the same table, which makes me nuts. You know, that's, that, that's super, super powerful stuff. We live in a time today where despite technology, we feel more isolated and alone than ever. And I'm actually co-authoring a book with uh, a fellow who's been a guest on my show. His name's Kai Bjorn. And Kai uh, is the National Director for BNI Canada and Corporate Connections Canada. He's a world champion sailor. He played professional football in the Canadian Football League. Impressive fellow. And we've done some research on this, and we're finding that these devices are actually preventing people from accessing the genius within and from connecting with other people. I mean, I've been in restaurants where there's a family of four there, and oh. they're all on their phones. <laughs> they're yeah. all on their phones. And so when I go out with my kids and they've got phones, I tell them, put your phones away. We're going to be together at the table. Absolutely. Right now. We're going to sit down and we're going, to, we're going to actually have a conversation. And that really works where if you've got that phone with you 24-7, your brain's going to be full. You're not going to have the time to let the genius within you bubble up. So you don't have time to do what you were talking about before, which is to iron and let the whole process of ironing be a, a meditative thing exactly. that allows that genius within you to just bubble up and then a brilliant idea come, comes out. I'll share with you a couple of ideas that I've had that I haven't done anything about yet, but I want to. And maybe you and I ought to have another conversation another time about one of them. But so I um, – my my life partner, she is a wonderful woman, uh, very talented, but she's also very beautiful, very feminine into girly things. You know what I mean? Nice. Uh, <laughs> totally. So, and she set three world records running 12 hours on a treadmill. So, you know, she's tough, but she's oh, into wow. girly things. So, yeah, I know it's crazy. So, <laughs> I... Um, I like knives. I'm a knife collector. In fact, I've interviewed um, some folks who have created knife companies on my podcast just because I love the knives that they make. And, you know, it's a way for me to get to talk to some people I'd really like to talk to that I otherwise wouldn't be able to. So okay. um, I purchased a knife for her. And she says, why don't you buy me a knife? Well, come on, it's a knife. I said, listen, you never know. You could use it, whatever. 
rip things open. So one day she took her little niece shopping. This was pre-pandemic. And um, her niece went into a change room and then she was just kind of browsing around. And then she got a phone call from her niece. She said, Aunt Teresa, Aunt Teresa. She says, yeah, what is it? She said, do you have your knife with you? She goes, yeah. She says, you need to come to the change room and cut me out of my dress because I'm stuck in it. <laughs> she said, what? So she went in there. They tried to get her out. It didn't work. So she cut her out of her dress. She paid for the dress, but she used the knife to cut her out of her okay. dress. She is she said, I know. She said, wow, you know, these knife things, they're kind of handy. And they are handy. A knife, knife's one of the oldest tools that we've uh -huh. had as human beings. And, you know, I, I started to think to myself, almost all knives are made for men. They're not made for women. The aesthetic is made to appeal to men, right? Yeah, and, the hunter. <laughs> yeah. The colors, you know, are for the most part. I mean, there's some knife makers that make beautiful knives that are like, you know, wearable jewelry. But um, for the most part, they're, you know, rough and tough and basic. And I just thought to myself, you know, I think women like Teresa would probably – carry a knife if it had a beautiful aesthetic and if they got to understand that it could be a useful thing for them to have. I mean, I think that the whole knife industry is missing out on a, on a huge potential market because, you know, most knife buyers are men, right? Yeah. If women buy knives, they usually buy it for their husband or their son or their boyfriend or whatever. Very few of them buy knives for themselves. And I think they ought to. And I think that if someone created a, a knife with a beautiful aesthetic and started to educate women on uses that the knife could be put to, I think that could be a nice little business, right? And well, Teresa might become the female Jim Bowie. There you go. There you go. <laughs> and I interviewed Tim Leatherman, who created the Leatherman multi tool. Leatherman, I you, sure. Yeah, I know the Leatherman. I own you know a Leatherman the multi tool. You own a Leatherman multi tool. <laughs> oh, yes. I own a few of them. He's a he's a very nice man. And he's, you know, he came up with a brilliant idea. And I was thinking, you know, you could make a multi-tool that could be more aesthetically appealing to women. And I, I actually think every woman should have a multi-tool, you know, especially these days where so many women are single, right? And they ought to have one in their home, you know, so that if there's, you know, if they're forced to deal with stuff that, you know, conventionally, traditionally men had dealt with, they'd be able to deal with them, right? And, and that multi-tool is such a wonderful tool. There's so many things you can do with it, you know? Um, I was playing soccer with uh, my sons. Uh, you know, my, my older son, he plays on a team, and it was parents versus kids. And one of the kids <laughs> stomped on and smashed my toenail <laughs> with his, oh my, with his oh cleats. My. And I'm like, oh, my God, this really hurts. <laughs> and I had a first aid kit. And there was a, a piece of tape for me to tape my to my, 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 my toenail down. So, you know, because it was kind of like, yeah. you know, ripped off a little bit. And and I'm like trying to like cut it in. You know, it's medical tape, so you can't just cut it with your fingers. Um, right. So I said, oh, I got my multi-tool. Great. Let me get the scissors. Boom, chop. It's done. <laughs> right? That, 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 that was just like one thing that the multi-tool in my car did for me. And I've been able to use it for a, a gazillion other things. So – you know, I've been thinking to myself, I'd like to find someone to team up with to create some of these and uh, for women, some of the knives for women, multi-tools for women, start to do a little educational campaign on why these things could be good. And I've, I, I brought this to a, a, a few people in the industry and they're like, eh, eh, I don't know, I don't think it's good. But, 
you know, the uh, the firearms industry in the United States, actually, there's a few companies that started making firearms that were more aesthetically pleasing to women. And they, they've been selling a lot of mm-hmm. them, especially these days, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, Steve Jobs started to, uh, when he came back to Apple, he created uh, computers with, you know, different colors. And that's right. when he found a lot more women started buying his computers because they didn't all look boring, right? <laughs> Well, I, I, you know, I think the aesthetic part of almost anything um, is very important. Um, even utilitarian things can be beautiful in form. Let me tell you one thing. My, my very first invention, my, the Debbie Meyer cake cutter, it's a simple, simple, simple um, concept. Patented worldwide. It And I came out with a set. One is for round cakes. The other one is for square cakes, but she cakes. It ended up in the Design Museum of London uh, because Sir Conran picked it for its beauty of simplicity, form, and function. Love it. And it's the simplest thing in the world to look at. It it needed um, some very um, specialized tweaking because it had to spring enough and all kinds of things relative to the metal part of it. But um, it... You know, the simplest thing you can come up with will have some aesthetic value to someone. And that's, you know, it is important. So I think you're, I think you could be on a very strong track there. I think you got it. There have been many things I haven't purchased just because I thought, where am I going to put this thing if, if I can't keep it out of sight? Yeah, um, if I can't keep like it out of sight, exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and I'm a girl with tools. I own the power tools in my family. Um I've always loved learning how to do anything. I'll take anything apart and put it back together just to see how it works. But um, I can hang doors. I can paint anything. I can, you know, I've got a, I got a little circular saw. I've got all kinds of stuff. Anyway, but I wasn't too concerned. I was more concerned about things like, like the weight of something as opposed to what they look like only because I put them away. And yet people came out with tools for women. (laughs) And they did very well because women didn't want to have this big, ugly, gray toe, they don't. toolbox. You know, that's what Teresa so told I, me when I was getting a knife for her. She says, "Oh, what is this thing? She go buy me a different knife. I want it to look nice." I'm like, "Well, oh, okay." <laughs> oh, I think you you got into something there. <laughs> and that that brings me to one of the points in my uh, conversations with people, and that's about do your research. Make sure you do your research. It's so amazing how many people do not research what they're talking about. So many people have brought products to me saying, I just invented this. Now look at them and go, no, you didn't. Um, because I, I, for some reason, and, and of course now everything's online, but we used to get catalogs. Remember mail order catalogs? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I used to get catalogs. There were piles of them every day. And I have somewhat of a photographic memory for product. And I could actually tell them which catalog I saw it in a few years ago or whatever. And then if they went back and researched it, yep, there it is. So it's so important. Like you're talking about, you believe there's a big market for this. Yes, I believe it too. But that comes from researching it. That comes from knowing what you're talking about. You know that women don't like certain things in their, you know, their aesthetic sphere. <laughs> they want yes, to, it's a nice way of putting it, their aesthetic sphere. 
<laughs> you know, there's a bubble outside of that where we all have to do with utilitarian items. But it's very important to know when you go to people that you know what you're talking about and you know for a fact this is the real thing. It's, it's, it's also a matter of respect um, when people come to people like me and people to you like you and they don't know what they're talking about and they expect you to go figure it out for them. Go you to go do the research. You do the full work. You know, if you don't have enough passion in your soul about what you're bringing to me to do the research, I'm not interested. You know, come to me with a full, pat, you know, a full story. Yes. And I think it's a very, very big lesson for some people to find out that what they, what they think they invented has been around for 30 years or 40 years. And even if it has been around for 30 or 40 years, if they can find a way to put a spin on it, it can still be a wonderful thing and it can still be successful. Absolutely. But they have to know what came before. They do. They have to know that they didn't generate it. It was there. So, you know, there's all those things. Um, The worst thing is that the person you're talking to knows more than you do about what you're talking about. (laughs) You know, you you come to someone with a a half-baked story. And the person sitting across the table from you already knows the rest of the story. That's that's not a good that's not a good start, frankly. <laughs> no, that that makes total sense. That makes total sense. I love. I'm really enjoying this conversation. I'm definitely going to have to have you back on. There's there's oh, a lot you. of things we can definitely talk about. So, oh. so Debbie, if people are interested in finding out about your products and about your inventions, what's the best way for them to do that or to purchase any of them? Well, um, we don't sell on our website. Uh, we direct you where to go for the uh, products, but you can get all the product information and some more information about me if you wish at uh, it's debbiemeyer.com, D-E-B-B-I-E-M-E-Y-E-R.com. I love it. Okay. Uh, so listener, you definitely want to go to debbiemeyer.com. You want to check out all our products. I'm definitely going to do that. I got to get the green bags and I got to get the green box. <laughs> So I don't have the problem of having my produce and my bread go go bad anymore because, God, that's embarrassing. And, Debbie, we like to end off each and every single one of our episodes by asking you, our guest expert, what are your top three expert action steps? That's your best pieces of advice for my listener to take on in his or her life so that they can take it to the next level. So what do you say? Three. (laughs) Wow. Um, Distilling it down to three. Okay. Well, first of all, I I think you should know your business inside out. Um, You must know what every function is inside your business. Uh, For instance, I know more about logistics than I ever wanted to. (laughs) But I know, and I'm not necessarily involved in logistics, but I understand the issues they might come up with. So, I'm, I can help work out whatever issue they may have only because I understand it. Um, so you need to understand all the parts of your business or, or those parts of the business could go south and you wouldn't even know it and you won't know why. So that's one of them. Um, I think being very credible and being trustworthy and sincere is another. Uh, nobody likes a false person. Nobody likes to have, you know, 
I have the expression smoke, blow smoke up your nose. Nobody likes to feel that they're being talked down to or around. Uh, so I think being very credible, being very sincere. When I sell my products on TV, I don't sell. And people have told me that I don't sell. I explain my products. If they're the right thing for you, you'll get it. You'll understand it. You'll want the product. But it, but I can't do any part of pushing things on people um, insincerely. So I think being credible is very, very important. Um, if I can do two more, I'd like to have one of them. Go is, for it. Okay. Respect your own brand. <clears throat> Whatever your brand is, if you're the brand or you have a brand on a product, you have a brand on a service, respect your brand because if you don't, nobody else will. Use your brand name properly. Protect your brand. Do what you have to with trademarks or patents, but you must protect that brand. That is the soul of your business. When people want to find you, they're going to look for your brand. You have to make sure it's available to them clearly, and that is you. So that's respecting your brand is important. The last one really comes from an old teaching of my mother. <laughs> now, she was not a business person, but she was the savviest human being on earth. She used to tell me to <clears throat> walk like you've got somewhere to go. And that meant don't look like a victim. Don't look like you don't have the confidence to show up. Don't look like you're going to walk into a room and go cower in a corner while everybody else is having conversations. You put your head up, your shoulders back, and you walk like you've somewhere to go because you are you. Be confident in what you're doing and go out and, and share it with people. It's like the, the get up and show up kind of thing, but it goes further. It's very, very important that you be you, present yourself to the people you want to contact as you. Your product, your service, whatever it is, is extremely important, obviously, but they're talking to you and how you come across to them is going to be their first impression of everything else you're going to tell them or show them or present to them. So it's important that you're very passionate about developing how you come across. And I will tell you the quote that my husband and I always use about having this business for this particular business for over 21 years. It's the hardest fun we've ever had. Wow. <laughs> That's brilliant. Brilliant. It's the hardest <laughs> fun we've ever had. Awesome. Well, listener, you can see, you can hear that Debbie Meyer is the real deal. This woman's enthusiasm is infectious. She has created a fantastic business along with her husband, and she is truly, truly a heart leader because she leads from the heart and she wants to make a difference for people. And in listening to this, if you're asking yourself, how can I be like Debbie? Well, number one, Go to her website, DebbieMeyer.com. Check out everything she's ever done online. That's the genius of having the internet because I'm sure there's a ton out there that you can look at and learn from. Number two, if you're wondering how you can lay 
that genius within you bubble up to the surface. The first suggestion I have for you is go to our website, ecircleacademy.com, and click on the button smack dab in the middle of the page that says Watch Webinar. There's a webinar masterclass there, which is absolutely free. And what you will get to do in watching that webinar is create a blueprint for yourself on what you can do to get the genius within you out into the world so that you can make the difference you were born to make and you can make a fabulous income for yourself and build a legacy for the people that you care about the most. So make sure you do that. Bring a notebook with you, you know, start and stop and pause the webinar if you need to so you can take some good notes. Take full advantage of that. And share this episode with three or four of your friends, five of your friends, because Debbie's wisdom is worth sharing. And the more people get to hear it, the better. So make sure you do that. Debbie, it's really been an honor having you on my show. I've had a ton of fun. I hope you've enjoyed it too. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. Believe me, this has been wonderful. Thank you for allowing me to share so much of what's in my head and <laughs> you know, rolling around all the time. So uh, I would love to come back. I would love to speak with you on more things. You're, a, you're an absolutely wonderful interviewer, and thank you again for the opportunity. Uh, we'll definitely have you back. That's a deal. That's a deal. Wonderful. We'll do it. Fabulous. Awesome. Awesome. And that wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's incredible guest, the one and only Debbie Meyer, go to the show notes and go to her website, DebbieMeyer.com. And to find out how you can take your genius to the next level, go to eCircleAcademy.com and make sure you watch that webinar masterclass. Okay? Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>